Would you please open with me to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew chapter 13, we'll be picking up in verse 24. So we're in the midst of what are called the parables of the kingdom, parables of the kingdom where Jesus is speaking in parables, which are stories kind of like from everyday life that hold a spiritual truth, a spiritual meaning uh, regarding the kingdom of heaven behind them. But as we learned last week, the, the parables served two purposes, mainly to conceal the mysteries of the kingdom of God from those who were hard hearted towards God. In other words, Jesus spoke among the people. And as we'll read probably next week that he didn't say anything without saying a parable at, from this point on, he spoke to the masses in parables and he was speaking the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And yet at the same time, it was unpurposely, unpurposefully uh, concealing the mysteries of God to those who were blind, uh, to those who were hard hearted towards, towards God, who were witnessing the miracles of Jesus and yet uh, did not uh, view him as the Messiah to those who were hearing his words. And yet they were falling on deaf hearts, so to speak. And so Jesus would proclaim the kingdom. And as I, Isaiah said that these people have a heart that's dull towards God. And so therefore they wouldn't have the pearls basically of, of the wisdom of the mysteries of God. But on the other hand, Jesus used those same parables when he was alone with the disciples to explain and to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom that were from before the foundations of the earth. Jesus says here at some time. And so the disciples on the other hand, were those who had hearts that were receptive, so, uh, hearts that were open to the Lord. And, and hopefully that's us this morning. Because really there's only two categories. There's the hard hearted, the dull, the blind and all of that. And that's one category, but the other category are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And, and Jesus says, they'll be filled. And here he says to those who have more will be given. And so this is, this is no joke. And so we want to have open hearts before God. I pray, especially being called the church, right? Are we truly? And so um, we read last week, the first parable, of Matthew 13. Remember what it was? Anybody? Yay. Okay. Good job. All right. The parable of the soul, which illustrates the various heart conditions in response to the word of the kingdom, to the word of God that was seeking to penetrate the hearts of men. In reality, this illustration it shows the opposition within the hearts of men to the kingdom of God. How many of, as you walk around society, how many people are just open to God? Want to hear about Jesus? You start talking about the things of the spirit for whatever reason, there's just a hard heartedness. Well, how much more so in a religious society that was actually claiming to be the people of God, Jesus is speaking the kingdom to a bunch of churched people, so to speak synagogued people. And yet we find that three of the four soil types, the pictures, the, there's four soils and, and there were different responses show the heart, the response of the human heart. Three of the four didn't bear fruit for one reason or another. They rejected the word of God going into the heart and bearing fruit. These would be, uh, these would typify the unbelievers those whose hearts were hard towards God. And, and so true uh, this morning as the word goes out or in your, in your Bible says, where you hear things about Jesus proclaimed or the songs that are sung, there are hearts that are hard or hearts that are receptive towards the Lord. 
and we reject the Lord or we accept the Lord for different reasons. He lays the, some of the major ones out there in the first chapter. Um, sometimes there's just such a hardness in our heart that we just reject whatever God says, no matter what. Then there's those who receive it with joy. It's an emotionalism Christianity. But when persecution comes, it's just, you know what? I don't want to deal with that. And so the, the faith wasn't real. It was simply just superficial and emotional and experiential. And then there was another t- kind that, that cared so much about the cares of the world and, and the riches and the pursuit of worldliness that that choked out the fruit, the thing that, that God desired to do in a person. And so those three types typify humanity. But then there's the fourth, those who actually did receive and they did bear fruit. And that was the good soil, right? Uh, This heart was indicative of believers, those who have ears to hear. And so Jesus describes the spiritual landscape of the people he's talking to. This is the same spiritual landscape that we, that's in this room right now. In my heart, in your heart, in the world around us, this is, this is not changed. And so this first parable parable is a kickoff to all the rest of them. I think there's seven in total. I might be wrong there. And and this is important because Jesus in Mark's account of, of that in, of that first parable in Mark chapter four, verse 13, for those of you who are writing things down to his disciples, he said, if you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand the rest? If you can't understand this first one, how are you going to understand the rest? And so the first one is a key to understanding all of them. That's why I spent a little bit more time in it last week, because this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven and the opposition it faced from the enemy, from the hearts of men and our place in that. Now the terms, the term kingdom of heaven is important to understand. Uh, Matthew, I think says it kingdom of heaven, maybe 52 times, 50, 50 times, somewhere around there. Um, in the other gospels, he actually, he's exclusive on saying kingdom of heaven. And then there's the kingdom of God. And, and I think these things are, are pretty much the same. There's some discussion about uh, the differences there, but there's a, if you can think of the kingdom of heaven in this way, because if I say like, let's, let's talk about worship. It's like, well, what do you mean by worship? Right. Are we talking about music? Are we talking about the heart? Are we talking about service? Are we talking, there's just so many aspects to it. And so to help us to bring it down to more of a simpler uh, view, the kingdom of heaven can be viewed in a very broad sense and a very narrow sense. In the narrow sense, it talks about the rule and the reign and the, the rule and the reign of God in the hearts of those who are submitted to him, the kingdom of heaven. And as a believer, we go, we're part of the kingdom of heaven. We submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. So there's that inner idea of the kingdom of heaven. But then again, there's the broader sense of the kingdom of heaven, which God rules over everything. Make sense. He rule it within the kingdom of heaven, within all that God rules and reigns. There are those who are disobedient. We'll see that later here in the verses because the Lord has to send angels into his kingdom to go take out evil and all that type of stuff. And so the broader sense of the kingdom of heaven also describes God's sovereign reign over all creation, but those who actually do believe and those who don't. And this would also be angelic beings that are in submission and demonic beings that are not including Satan himself. Right. And what Jesus is describing here in the parables is that is the narrow kingdom pressing in upon the wider kingdom. That's the picture. 
his rule, his reign by those who accept it, pushing in on those who don't on the world around. That's the picture I see here that, that the kingdom that is submitted is pushing out against the unsubmitted kingdom of both man and the fallen angels to rule to the rule and reign of God. And so Jesus is describing all this through the parables. Keep that in mind as we go. When he talk about the kingdom of heaven, we saw in the first parable, the condition of the human heart within the kingdom of heaven, the wider one, right? Uh, to the, the response, most hearts don't receive, most hearts reject, most hearts are in rebellion, right? And we know that all have fallen short. We're all, that's our default condition, but by the grace of God, right? But we see, however, a few do. And we saw that now in, and so you have this idea of this conflict that's happening. There's, there's the human heart that's in opposition towards the authority of God. Make sense? Now you keep on going. And by the way, if you remember the chapters before, what's he dealing with? Opposition from the Pharisees. He's talking about trees and fruit. And he just continues in now with all these stories. And now in verse 24, as we pick up, Jesus continues to speak about the kingdom of heaven to the people through parables. Let's read. He put another parable before them. Verse 24 saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. They were revealed. And so here in, in what is called the parable of the wheat, in the second parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds, if you want to modernize it, uh, it's continuing to paint the uh, spiritual picture on the backdrop of agriculture, something everybody would understand. And here he describes in the scenario, there's a field in which a person goes out and seeds, its field seeds, the field with good seed. And the night his enemy comes in and puts, puts, you know, weed seed all over it or Darnell as some of your older translations might say. Now, the thing about the weeds that were sown, and we can see this from the context of verse 26, if you look at verse 26, is that apparently these type of weeds translated in some of your things as Darnell, they looked very similar to wheat, similar to foxtails. How many of you know foxtails? What do you guys call them up here? Something else? Foxtails. Okay, good. You know, <laughs> things are different. I'm like, what's a Tushi? <laughs> And then I go down there. Oh, hey, it's great to be in La Jolla. No, La Jolla. Oh, it's touche. No, touche. Anyways. Anyways. So anyways, when we were running around as kids thinking about foxtails, they get caught in your socks and all that kind of stuff. And you look at them and you're just going, man, this is like wheat. And you pretend you're wheat as kids, right? And that's the idea behind it. It mimics the real deal, but it isn't. And it wasn't until the wheat and the weeds began to bear their fruit that you were able to distinguish between which was which to the untrained eye, right? Or maybe to the, to the field workers there. And that was the distinction when it was noticed verse 20 uh, verse 28 says, but verse 27 and the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. He knew what was going on. And so apparently one way an enemy could sabotage another enemy. Perhaps there was some kind of, uh, you know, in this story, I mean, we think of ways that enemies fight one another. Well, one of them is you take out their source of income or their source of harvest and all that kind of stuff. So they just would basically sabotage the enemy's crop. You'd come in in the night and you'd sow bad seeds, you know, goat heads among the wheat. It's like, oh, great. So what do you do with that? 
What do you do with that? When you have a field with both wheat and also weeds that look like wheat. Well, what do we do today? Well, we spray the fields, right? And that the spray comes along and it kills the wheat and the people. It, uh, it kills the weeds and the people and it doesn't kill the wheat, you know? And so we're good. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm not taking a side. I'm just having fun. But they did, <laughs> you know, Never mind. I won't go there. I was going to say we'd probably be eating like dirt, but never mind. Uh, they didn't have that technology back then, right? So, so how do you get rid of weeds? Well, you go out and you pull them. That's what. That's the option they had. You had to go rogue the fields, right? That's the option. That's the idea. And so, verse twenty-eight, the servant said to him, "Hey, did you want us to go out and gather them up? Do you want us to go take out the weeds, go in the fields, and, and pull them all up?" But he said in verse twenty-nine, "No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them." How many of you have done that before? You're trying to, yeah, totally, John Devin. You're trying to preserve the crop, but in taking out the weeds that are entrenched in the roots, it, it destroys the crop. So don't pull the weeds lest you root up the wheat along with them. Verse 30, what does the farmer say? The person who owns the ground, he says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So at the appointed time at the harvest, the weeds will be removed and burned and the wheat will be gathered into his barn. How many of you have spiritual ears right now? And you hear what Jesus is saying. And that's the end of the parable. And Jesus moves on to two more, probably several more. And that's all the people got. The masses that are listening to him. But before we move on to the next two, as Jesus sometimes does, he'll re-explain things a little later on to his disciples. So in verse 36, what happens? If you skip down to verse 36, he explains the meaning of what we just read. And we're going to go ahead and skip to verse 36. Then we'll go back to verse 31. I know it's not verse by verse, but we'll get all the verses. And so we'll be there. So we're going to skip down to verse 36 now, come back to verse 31 in a minute to the other two parables. Keep in mind, the people would have only heard the story, not the explanation. The disciples are with Jesus and those who are with him there, those with ears to hear. And Jesus is now explaining the mystery of the kingdom to them. Okay. And he goes in verse 36. This is then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. We don't get it along with everybody else. And he answered, He said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field verse 38 is the world. And the good seed is the, is, is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. He just lays it out there. Isn't that cool? Isn't it great to understand or to be given insight into the mystery of the kingdom of God? You understand right now, when Jesus just said as believers, how the, where the world is, what the world's coming to, how's it, where's it headed? What's going on with all of this? Why doesn't God just pick the weeds out? Because some of you might be weeds. 
wanting to be, God's going to turn into wheat. Amen. Got people we're praying for that would come to be wheat in his barn. Amen. He's not slack concerning judgment. He is long suffering. It's interesting in the old Testament. Again, that name Methuselah means his death shall bring. And apparently the day that Methuselah died was the day that the flood came. He didn't die from the flood, but the day that he died, I think it was a prophecy of Enoch who was his dad. And that's why his dad turned and said, Hey, and this is, this is conjecture, but I think that's, that's what was going on there because there's a radical change when his son Methuselah is born and his name means his death shall bring his death shall bring what the flood judgment changed his dad's heart. There's judgment coming time to walk and follow the Lord. And so here, this is speaking of the end of the age and, and, and where everything's going. And so Jesus gives keys to understand this parable. The one sowing the good seed is the son of man. Who's that? That's Jesus. Jesus is sowing the good seeds. He's sowing the gospel, the word of God into people's hearts that people might believe and have eternal life. The field is what? It's the world. He says, well, what's the world? What world is he talking about? The stars. What's he talking about? Same as in the first parable. It's our hearts, the world of humanity, our hearts. That's who he's, he's, he's spreading the seed into, right? And the wheat are the sons of the kingdom. So that would be sons and daughters of the kingdom. So those who hear, who, who, who receive, who believe upon Jesus, right? Those are the good soil in, from, from one. He's repeating it again. These are believers. Well, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. You see that? Equal to the first three types of hearts. Those who reject Christ, those who don't bear fruit, False Christians and all of that. Those whose hearts are dull towards God who are under the power and sway of the wicked one continually never repentant. The harvest. What's that? The end of the age. What age? The age. This, this world, as we know it, the kingdom, it seems what's being described. And by the way, the harvesters are who? The angels. And so this is like permanent stuff. He's talking about big sweeping picture of what's going to happen to humanity. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. So what's being described here is that the kingdom of God, that broader kingdom that includes everyone and everything it has within it, both wheat and weeds. And sheep and goats and believers and non-believers and angels and demons, right? Why are we to pray in the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because it isn't being done. There's a conflict. There is the greater kingdom of God, which he rules and reigns everything. And he's in total control and things are happening. But then there's his kingdom where people are submitted to it. And that is pressing in. And the emphasis in the parable was that the weeds were indistinguishable from the wheat until the wheat began to bear fruit. Right. And so we have an enemy undermining the kingdom by planting his own crop. And so 
with the first parable, there is a resistance to the rule and reign of God in the hearts of men. But guess what? There's also a spiritual resistance, the physical man of well, the spiritual manifestation of Satan himself in working in the hearts of people. Read Ephesians chapter two, the prince of the power of the air, who is at work in the sons of disobedience of whom we all have been, but by the grace of God, right? Just read the whole chapter. You'll be blessed. Ephesians two. But here the enemy resists the rule and reign of God through his own influence upon the hearts of men. And in particular, wherever there's a work of God in the hearts of men and women, in the hearts of people, guess what? The enemy's at work too. So let's just say we have this place called Christ community fellowship where the word of God is taught and people are receiving the word and they love the Lord. And there's a response. There's some God doing something. What do you think also is going on? The enemy is at work in different ways. Well, one of the ways that he comes and and undermines the work of God generally is by planting a counterfeit crop, a crop that looks like the real thing, but it isn't. And you can kind of see Jesus paralleling the Pharisees and paralleling the hearts of the people that kind of rejected the Lord there. It's difficult to distinguish between the wheat and the foxtails to, to the average person. And even to those who kind of know the word, we, we don't, we're not God. Can't see into the hearts of men between true believers and false believers. And at times the weeds often mimic the wheat, pretty scary stuff. And it wasn't until the wheat began to produce actual fruit, that there was a distinction. And this is why Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. You're going to know a weed and a wheat by its seeds, by its fruit. Right. And so what we see here is that the word of God, the word of the kingdom goes out and it takes effect upon those who believe. And one of the attacks of the attacks of the enemy is to place people. He is spreading his word, his beliefs, his false doctrine, his rebellion in the hearts of men into hearts. He's stealing the the word out of hearts. He's putting his word in the hearts. How does he do that? Would you think if you were the enemy, how would you communicate? Well, let's start with the church. Let's start with religion. We'll do that. What about education? What about government? What about media? What about television? What about music? What about all the things that influence the way we think? What about books and thinking and philosophy and all these types of things? And so he sows weeds among the wheat and attempt to undermine the fruitfulness of the wheat. And this is what the kingdom of God is like in the broader sense. Make sense. It's advancing. The word is sown. People are believing people are receiving, but also along the same time, the enemy is absolutely at work in the form of infiltration, in the form of hypocrisy, in the form of heresy and all those types of things. And so why doesn't God just deal with it? Amen. Let me get deal with it. Well, let's turn that standard right back on us. <laughs> no, don't be merciful. Wait, long suffering. Right? Amen. That's what we, we really want. And so God has a heart of mercy but there is a day of reckoning. The end of the age, verse 40, check it out. Just as the weeds are gathered 
and burned with fire. So it will be at the end of the age. The day of judgment is coming. Now, really quickly as a culture, when someone says judgment day is coming, what do we immediately culturally think of that person? (laughs) And sometimes they are, but the judgment day is coming. It is coming as sure as the sun will set and rise. It is coming. It's an appointed day. Just as there was a day when the Lord shut the door on the ark, it was done and the waters came. But the door of the ark was open for a long time. Even animals went in there. The people mocked Noah for what he was doing, building a boat. They mocked him the whole time. The door sealed. The floods came. The world was deluged. So too, there's a day Peter says when the world will be destroyed by fire. And they mock, Oh, where's the coming of the Lord? Days, a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. I might've said that backwards, but you get the idea. Is that right? I don't know. But you get the idea. God is long suffering. He desires that none should perish and all should come to repentance. The reason why God had Methuselah be the oldest man recorded in the Bible is because on the day that he died, his wrath would come. Long suffering, long suffering. He is so long suffering. Aren't you thankful? And I'm thankful for those. Should he continue to tarry that will come to him through the gospel that is preached through you, through the church in Walla Walla, the true church, the, the, those around the world who love Jesus and spread his word by what they do and what they say. And by preaching the actual word of God and not shying away from it in this wicked and perverse generation of which we are part of and been saved out of. Amen. On that appointed day, verse 41, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Notice real quickly, whose angels, whose angels specifically, whose are they? What does it say? Son of man. Who's that? Oh, they're Jesus's angels. Well, I thought Jesus was an angel. Oh no, 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 no. Those are his angels. They're his father's angels. He's going to send his angels. Where? Where is he sending him into his kingdom? What's in his kingdom? Causes of sin and lawbreakers. His father's kingdom, his kingdom, one and the same. And so right now in his kingdom, there's causes of sin and lawbreakers, but one day that broader unrepentant kingdom will be brought under the narrow it'll be brought under his Lordship. One day, every tongue, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of father. Amen. And he's going to take the kingdom when all is put under his foot 
and he's going to hand it over to the father. That's crazy, huh? That's awesome. The angels will be dispatched at his word and they will grab all the causes of sin and lawbreakers and they will remove them like the imagery of the weeds being removed. I believe this is speaking not only about unbelievers, but it's also speaking about Satan and his demons, all causes. And we, we have that revelation 20 ladies. I don't know. You're not there yet, but you will be revelation 20 verse two at the end of the great tribulation before ushering in the 1000 year reign of Christ an angel comes down and grabs Satan and throws him in the abyss and binds him for a thousand years An angel, not like, you know, Lord of the Rings, 500, you know, thousand troops come in and finally grab this, this, this formidable enemy. One angel walks in, grabs him, throws him in there because God says it's time. Probably Michael and these guys, I don't know. Powerful angel walks in and grabs him and throws him up. Locks him. Then he releases him after a thousand years because God's plan isn't done. And then at the end of that time, at the end of that short period of time at the end of a thousand years, if you're reading revelation in that way, once again, it says there in verse 10 of chapter 20, he's just thrown into the lake of fire. No big dramatics. It just says he's thrown into the lake of fire. Doesn't talk about all this stuff. I assume it's the same way. Angel takes him and throws him in the lake of fire. The angels will be doing this. One angel took care of Satan in that case earlier in Matthew chapter eight, verse 29, Matthew eight twenty nine. the demon that possessed the demoniac cried out to Jesus saying, what have you to do with this? O son of God, have you come here to torment us before our time? They know this day is coming. And so it's not only unbelievers, it's also the demonic forces that are going to be grabbed and thrown. Uh, in another verse, it talks about that hell and in the lake of fire are prepared for the devil and his angels. And also those who follow him. Well, that time is what Jesus is describing here. We're all causes of sin, mortal or demonic and all lawbreakers will be gathered out of his kingdom. And verse 42 says, and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does it say there? Guys, just for a second, focus verse 42 and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus speaking. The same Jesus who is totally merciful and gracious and kind and loving and suffering and bled out. He also says what? I'm going to send angels. And they're going to grab those who don't believe and demonic forces. And we're going to gather them and we're going to throw them into a place of eternal fire. And the end of Matthew 24, 25 says it never ends. Now it's not talking about the fire that never ends. The suffering never ends. Also in revelation, the suffering never ends. Read revelation 20 verse 11 through 15. Flip to the end of your Bibles with me real quickly. We'll see how far we get today. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I just want to give you, there's different places where you can see this. You can see this in Matthew what, 25 and then also revelation 20, 11 through 15. Although Matthew 25 might be speaking of it something slightly different, but revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. 
And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. So what just happened there? The world is gone. There's no place for anyone or anything. What, what happened? And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne. What happened is the angels gathered everyone, everything from everywhere and brought them before the throne of God. It seems. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Verse 13 and the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades. That's hell gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to what they had done. What's the judgment according to what they had done. A good tree produces a bad tree produces the judgments are the proof of who you are according to what you have done. There is a separate, you know, we go, I'm saved by grace through faith. Well, that also has to translate into a changed life. Amen. Not a perfect life, a sanctified life. And well, what do you have here? Then death and Hades verse 14 were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so there's hell, but there's also, there's, there's dying, but then there's like this. We're all scared of dying. This is the one we need to be fearful of. That's just the entry fee. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what's really important that our name is found where written in the book of life. Well, how do I get into that book? Respond to Jesus Christ right now. Believe upon the son of God who died to pay the price of your sin and mine. That you would not experience that day that your name would be transferred into the written into the book of life. And it might be there before the foundations of the earth. I know there's a bunch of theological stuff on that, but amen. That's what we long for is your name in the book of life. How do you know that? Believe upon Jesus. It is his work, his finished work, not my work. Amen. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a scary preacher. Amen. <laughs> Turn from sin and turn to the sun. Amen. Jesus name means Yeshua and it means God saves. That's what his name means. Pretty much just he saves. That's his heart saves from what your bad habits. This. Believe not only his death, but his resurrection. He didn't just die for your sins, which is massively more fantastic than we can ever imagine. Amen. He also rose again. 
that you too would rise again. You would have new life, his life in you eternally irrevocable by God's grace. Amen. Listen, this is why we preach Jesus. This is why we gather together is to learn of him and to know him and to follow him and to love him because of this great grace that's been manifested to us undeserved mystery before the foundation of the world given to us. And we become adopted into his kingdom. Read Ephesians chapter one and just all the blessings that we have in Christ. It's just, you cannot fathom it. It's yours in Christ through faith. So in the broad kingdom of heaven right now, there are two plants, wheats, wheat and weeds, right? The weeds will be gathered and burned, weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. And God doesn't rejoice in this, but he is just in it. He is absolutely just in his judgment because he sent his only son to die to pay for the sins. And if you reject the son, you have no hope. And this is what he's saying. I've cast the seed, but men's hearts reject him for all these kinds of reasons. And the wheat, on the other hand, it's gathered into the barn and idiom from being brought into his presence. Look at verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Look at your destination, believer. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. If you read about that new kingdom and what it's like, and it's illuminated by his very presence, there's no need for the sun. And, and it's, it's beyond any light we've ever described. It's, it's a kingdom of light. It's his kingdom. We will shine in that kingdom. It will radiate. Some believe, and this is just conjecture again, that when Adam sinned and he realized his nakedness, what he lost was his glory. That kind of makes sense to me a little bit. And what are we clothed with? The righteousness of Christ. We are clothed in his glory when we are with him. Amen. We shine. We are one with him. It's beautiful. And so we see here in the first two parables, the picture of the kingdom of heaven, that Jesus is describing the opposition that the kingdom of God undergoes where Jesus Christ, his word, his rule, his reign that has offered and preached. It's rejected by human hearts. And it's also infiltrated and undermined by the evil one. But in the end, things will be sorted at his time. So that's the parable of the wheat and tares. Pretty important information to know, don't you think? And you have it. You've been given to that, given that graciously by God. If you have ears to hear, not only hear, but believe and live according to like Enoch. Amen. Let's pray. And the church said, amen. (laughs) Father, I want to thank you for your word. It's so deep, so rich. I want to praise you, God, together with my brothers and sisters for the one who's able to keep us from stumbling. 
Lord, you just keep loving us. You keep finishing what you started in us. You won't let us go until we're before your throne, all white. No longer in the presence of sin, no longer to the power of sin. Just with you. All evil, the, all the evildoers, the, the list goes on on the outside. They're in the darkness, Lord. And we, we, we understand what that's like for we have all been those people. And we struggle with sin in our mortal bodies, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to purify us as your church. That we wouldn't give way to the weeds and the rocks and the heat and the sun and the birds of the air. We would give in to your spirit. And that you would produce in us that fruit of righteousness. A fruit, a life worthy of repentance that just reflects your goodness. It's not something we can muster up, but it's something we lovingly submit to and, and, and follow you in. And so Lord, do your work in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here. And for the person who's been hard hearted in this room towards God, we encourage you as fellow sinners, as fellow people have received the grace of God, just in need of a great savior, call out to him and he will save not based upon what you've done, but based upon what he's done. And so Lord, do that work. We love you. And we thank you for revealing these things to us. May we walk worthy of the call in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Love you guys.